It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we take a step, one step beyond as we're doing today. This is Matt here. Brian's back. Just just like that voice campaign in the mid-70s. <laughs> which didn't... I think I'm the I'm first one to come back for one step beyond. Because I was in the first one, wasn't I? Is that right? That is correct. And we'll see if this is the last one. Not sure yet. We're going to see what's up with the SAG. W, well, WGA's finished. So Might we'll see be talks this week. Yeah, Might be so happening. Who knows? Maybe this is all old news by the time this airs. I don't know. But we're still one step beyond today. This episode is The Promise. Uh, kind of a innocuous name. But the, the well, I guess when I do the trivia, we'll get to the, the big hit. Unless you already watched it, which you know why we wanted to watch this particular episode. <laughs> yeah. Although I should say, uh, you messaged me. You wish you had watched something else before this. What what was that again? Uh, the British uh, series from the late seventies called uh, Danger UXB. Is that was that a bomb uh, defusing sort of? It was thing? a, I believe, a thirteen episode. It was shown as part of Masterpiece Theater in the United States, and it was, uh, yeah, it was about post or during, maybe during or. See, I haven't seen it <laughs> during World <laughs> War II, post World War II, perhaps um, finding and uh, defusing unexploded bombs that the Germans dropped all over, you know, London during the Blitz. And so which uh, ties directly into the plot of this uh, this episode and um, um, the weird trivia. It started Anthony Andrews, who had his own career and stuff. But uh, the, the thing that caught my eye when I was looking at the listing for Danger UXB was the, a couple of roles by um, Nick Tate and Judy Geeson from Space 1999. Yes, Alan Carter and Regina Carter, respectively. Yeah, Regina, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one was a difficult one. When I was listening, it was difficult again. I'm like, why do I keep saying Regina? But that's a different show. Um, <laughs> Like yeah, we'll I, go go on about I, that in another podcast. <laughs> I I know they still occasionally find these bombs. Uh, Tokyo had something like a year or two ago where they had found an unexploded bomb under a build or in a site or something. Wow, I, I feel like I've even heard London like somewhat recently, like in the past few years, finding them. There's they're still around, and um, you know, they're probably even harder to fuse. You get a lot more of that uh, corrosion that that uh, blows blows up uh, Carl real good. Sorry, I'm spoiling because I assume you've you've watched this if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> or you don't yeah, care. I'm, I, I'm curious as to how often um, someone was just minding their own business in London and the house next door exploded from a bomb that was dropped 20 years ago or something like that. I assume it happened, but I, I don't know much about that history. So, I well, yeah, no, was it Southeast Asia? Well, lots of places still have like unexploded minefields from various conflicts, and so uh, right. That, that's a that's a big deal. So <laughs> minefields, minefields are the real bad ones. Skip the minefields. Uh, I will give a bit of 
trivia on this one. The original air date was November 22nd, 1960. As always, this is directed by host John Newland. Uh, the only credit writing credit I could muster was a dramatized by Larry Marcus found in the closing credits. Uh, weirdly, this one on IMDb had no writing credits. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go with what what's actually in the show. So that's what it said. Carl Bremer was played by William Shatner. You may have recognized him from films such as Incubus, Big Bad Mama, and Kingdom of the Spiders. Oh, yeah, that was a great one. Right on. <laughs> ben Wright played Captain George Davis. His career was wildly expansive with bits on every TV show you can think of in the 1950s and 1960s. Appearances in major films such as The Sound of Music, where he played Herr Zeller, and plenty of Disney voice work ranging from 101 Dalmatians to his final role in The Little Mermaid. You, did you want to say more about Ben Wright, by the way? You, you said you had some Ben Wright trivia on the mind. Well, yeah, so. he just had a lot of um, he had a lot of genre credits and just so much 70s and 60s TV. Six million dollar man, you know, <laughs> I, I was almost surprised. I'm not too surprised. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if he turned up in Star Trek. And it's funny, I kind of did a little search the other day on the people who've done the hat trick. Since we're doing Shatner, he's done Twilight Zone, One Step Beyond, and of course, Star Trek. There's about a half a, about two dozen, I think, actors have done all three series. But Max himself, he was in The Intruders. No, wait, is Intruders? Yeah, I don't he's know. He's in The it's Outer not, Limits. That's not what I thought it was. Uh, is he in The Outer Limits as well? Mission he, he has a credit for that, yeah. Um, he has 200... Well, here it is, Invaders. He's, yeah, he's also in The Invaders. That's what I was going to call him out for. So that's kind of contemporaneous with Star Trek. So. <laughs> yeah, oh, and two Irwin Allen Sills. Oh, okay. Math, math. The Time Tunnel and uh, and, uh, and uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. But not... But not, but not Tales uh, of the Gold <laughs> Monkey. That sounds exciting. As the singing Frenchman. Okay. Anyway, 208 credits, which was somewhat intimidating when doing the trivia. So I <laughs> thought I'd roll the ball your way for a second. Yeah, that was my point. He's got just got a lot of stuff. Yeah, Outer Limits. Okay, so that gives you the hat trick of Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, and One Step Beyond, which is itself pretty amazing. That's the anthology one for sure. Mm-hmm. In stark contrast, Lois Bremer was played by Deidre Owens. IMDb lists a slim 20 credits for her. So folks who follow this podcast may remember her appearance on the Twilight Zone as one of those 20 uh, credits as uh, Barbara Stevens, I believe. But I cannot for my life remember which episode that was. <laughs> oh, I gosh. Do, uh, I definitely remembered her face. What's your name again? Uh, Lois Bremer. I guess if you do that in Twilight Zone, I was doing a quick run on IMDb to do this. And, uh, you know, when I clicked on the on the name, it was, took me to the twilight zone like i'm not going to dig through every episode right now uh sorry folks i had to do trivia in a rush today <laughs> <laughs> i think lois was the name of the character is that the actor's name uh, the actor's name is deidre owens and her oh, character Deidre. her character okay. on the twilight zone is barbara stevens but i was not able to um uh oh yeah. cross reference yep we'll while you're doing that yeah, i'll talk about our last person uh, <laughs> while you're doing that, uh, Queenie, Le blah, blah, blah. Queenie Leonard was our psychic spotting nurse O'Brien. After starting in British cabaret, she was a Hollywood player in the 1940s in films such as And Then There Were None and The Lodger. Later on, she would 
also do voice work for Disney, appearing along with Ben Wright in the aforementioned 101 Dalmatians. Okay, you're the man in the chair. Okay, I got uh, I got uh, Dietra here. Okay. Uh, you're, you're not going to believe this, but she was in one of the three, I think, three Twilight Zones that Ben Wright was in. So this is the second time they worked together, probably. <laughs> and then 101 Dalmatians. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> Judgment Night. It's like those two have crossed paths many times. Yeah, this, this episode is a weird nexus of uh, of actors. Okay, Judgment Night was a long time ago for this podcast, so I don't feel bad for forgetting that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me. It's a short prologue today, so... There was also a long outro, but I feel like the outros... Well, now I've already spoiled the thing somewhat, but I, uh, yeah, whatever. Here's the short prologue. Yeah, there was also a, a, like a secondary prologue after the, uh, after the first scene. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> None of us is ever really prepared for that moment when the thin shell of reality cracks and the world of unreality, a psychic world, is thrust upon us. Radio. Which is a very short prologue. It doesn't really tell you anything about what's. It going sounds on. cool, but it doesn't really say anything, does it? <laughs> well, let's let's talk about for a second. Uh, one odd thing about this episode. Um, of course, we're dependent upon YouTube to to watch these things because they're so out of print and lost to the wind. But this episode is notably about five minutes short. It's about twenty minutes to twenty five. Yeah. And so I'm starting to wonder if. Somewhere down the line, something was edited out of it, an entire scene, perhaps. And I'm wondering if that accounts for it being maybe a little disjointed. I think, well, we'll get into the story here. Um, We've come across you... a, another couple episodes which seem to maybe have a scene or two cut out, uh, maybe for syndication at some point. Possibly, possibly. This was this this was had the sci-fi channel logo of the nineties in the corner, so it was probably recorded off. Right. Cable. And and we're missing the credit sequence except for a flash of it. So there's another minute mm. basically making it syndication <laughs> length. So that, that would be my guess that we've lost the originals and uh, are stuck with the syndicated ones now. Well, should we get into like the synopsis of the episode and sure, sure. Um this is one where I felt like the meaty story in the middle was far more interesting than the twist i will say that i was you know mildly <laughs> fascinated by all the all the you know bomb diffusing stuff uh the twist at the end is like whoo isn't that weird you know <laughs> so our, our focus in this episode is um blowing up shatner real good blowing up shatner real good but he plays a german uh luftwaffe pilot and bomber who uh was shot down and was i guess incarcerated briefly around in and around coventry around the time coventry got the living crap blown out of it and he volunteers to uh to rescue people unlike his um his compatriot his fellow officer who who says a lot of things in german i don't understand in german (laughs) he does not like the fact that he's going to go help the the british you know save lives from from you know the Luftwaffe's handiwork and so um he he's um in the house he gets a child out but then he gets trapped starts to collapse and he uncovers not only a bomb but a woman stuck under the bomb who is the aforementioned Lois and uh we've met her we heard about her in the in the beginning of the episode this is all kind of a flashback he um uh saves her life and so they fall in love obviously get married and this is now sometime after the war I think it's supposed to be the main story set like 1949 yeah okay and um 
and uh, she's pregnant with her first child, and uh, his colleague uh, in the military um, calls him up for one last bomb defusal, even though his wife said, stop doing that, you're going to get yourself killed. Well, guess what? He gets himself killed. <laughs> and um, on the eve of his child's birth, and so the child's finally born, but the wife is so despondent about it. She doesn't want to see the child because of the death of her husband. When the nurse room comes in and says, you need to tell your, your, your husband not to, you know, pick up children and come into the hospital. And, and it's a, a visitation, apparently you know, the, the ghost of Carl uh, mm -hmm. comes in and uh, performs a ritual, which he mentions briefly just before he dies about, breathing life into a child a ritual from his village that's gone back a thousand years or so where you script construction <laughs> yeah you don't uh yeah it's a little exposition there where you breathe life into the child but instead of you know slapping it on the back when everyone is you know first uh, born and you say a little uh a little benediction in german and then and then she says did he say this and it's like uh yeah he said something like that and uh, still the doctor like gives the nurse hell about it <laughs> because um, he's not so much creeped out, but just kind of annoyed that, he's, that she's being distressed by this news of this visitation. And uh, yeah, it's kind of how that story ends with uh, John Newland at the end, of course, going on like these people are still alive and they swear this all happened. And it's, it's shades of Criswell, like it's secret testimony. <laughs> I guess his, uh, his, Writing is a little better in, in Criswell's, but it doesn't stand out as much, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, I was noticing in some of these episodes, he's got the same dramatic, weird lighting behind him where the lights come up on his face and the background shifts a little bit. And it looked very Criswell to me. It looked like it's straight out of a Plan 9, really. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Plus the I, hair. <laughs> yeah, kind of reminds me of Criswell's hair. I think the bit at where that. I, I think every episode starts with that, but since we were watching this, you know, this YouTube uh, mm -hmm. unintentionally edited one, we I, we missed that at the beginning. But I, I think all of these do have him criswelling it at the very beginning for the standard one step beyond spiel. <laughs> but yeah, I I would like doing these. You do start to appreciate just um, how Serling's prologues and outros are well somewhat better constructed <laughs> snappier you know <laughs> i mean like i said i like this one it sounds like kind of trippy but it says absolutely nothing whatsoever it's like when disney starts yeah. unveiling their new project where, where where stories will make dreams your new magic you know what does that mean <laughs> and i haven't watched much beyond the episodes we've covered but um it, it seems like newland is like really kind of you know slamming the skeptical community at the end they thought, explain this basically you skeptical people <laughs> yeah he he's not going to be doing uh articles for for the, for the skeptics uh monthly or whatever <laughs> <No>. it is <laughs> which is fine <laughs> i'm not complaining just saying he wouldn't do that um so oh go ahead no your so is leading into something that's fine might be the same so thing. i was gonna ask you um what was your take on carl's like well, defection for lack of a better term, but you know, change of heart about the British. He uh he was incarcerated in Coventry. He saw the bombing of Coventry firsthand. And I get the feeling that somewhere in there, this is where there might have been a missing or you know, scene that was deleted for time, uh, that um 
he had some sort of change of heart, you know, like he was watching the bombs fall or something. And it made him think about <laughs> his career choices and <laughs> the fact that he's incarcerated here and thought maybe he turn around, do good. It's not like he, it's not like he met the woman first off. I mean, he volunteered to go out and help with the rescue efforts. So what do you think? Do you think that's something that they just forgot to write in and we're just supposed to accept it? Or do you think that there was like a missing, because it felt like somewhere around there, there was some missing piece of the story. Um, I guess when something like that happens, sometimes we stitch in what it is ourselves. So what came to my mind is maybe this is a Yassar, Captain Yasarian's solution from Catch-22, right? Because he's, mm -hmm. he's going to be, uh, you know, put into military prison for dereliction and duty or he keeps dropping bombs on people so i was like well maybe this guy's got the same problem so when the enemy there's lives at stake just lives are at stake and like can you help us and it's a way out he just takes it well he owns up to it in the very first scene we see you know um, a local woman comes into his shop i think now he's in london right he's not in coventry he's living in london he's his shop in the and the, the lady was very displeased that there was, you know, an ex-German officer running this shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, he comes out and says, what am I supposed to tell her? That I was a Nazi? I was, you know. Did the Kaiser poison people with poison gas? Yeah, he did, even though I think that was the previous World War. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, he was he was owning up to it and, uh, and um, had some kind of peace with it, I guess. I guess he felt it said in this in the story kind of said he reached a point where he felt like he had redeemed himself enough he'd put himself in danger multiple times between when we first meet him when he's captured to the current time so he's diffused enough bombs that his wife thinks he's done enough stop risking your life right so well the he other seems... side of the coin that might be interesting i i thought the scene was a like kind of a mirror image both in um, em employee versus customer and temperament with the first scene in the Twilight Zone's Death Head Revisited where we have uh, Commandant Schmidt coming in and giving a false name and trying to suggest he's not a Nazi to the innkeeper where he's like the most Nazi guy possible. <laughs> right. right. But this right. guy is the least well while still having been a Nazi he's the least Nazi guy possible I guess. Um I, yeah they say straight up he's part of part of the party he's got like the the iron cross okay because i mean you know we do have to make the distinction that there are people in the german military in world war ii who were definitely not nazis well yeah there's the you know the rank and file civilians where a lot of them just kind of went along with it and you know this um you know complicit by their 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 silence in a way but yeah there are those who are very gung-ho yeah. that's <laughs> Nazis one of the season that's one of the kind things of in that between makes, somewhere yeah. yeah that's one of the things that makes a dust boot uh you know fascinating because I, I assume like the maybe the officers had to join the party but you're mostly seeing like um mm -hmm. joe joe not joe hans hans schlub thrown into a submarine you know he, he doesn't have a political affiliation um but yeah, I did think it was kind of a, I mean, obviously that's not an intentional mirroring, but as someone who does this podcast, you notice that, hey, these scenes are kind of mirrors of each other. 
and then the Death's Head Revisited one is in Germany. This one's in London. It's like everything's reversed from that uh, particular scene, and I found that weirdly fascinating. That is, that is very interesting parallel or the mirror mirror image, as you said. Yes, that's true. They aired just, about the same time too. <laughs> I just uh, realized that Shatner's appearance on uh, Twilight Zone's Nick of Time, of course, its first one aired like about a week before this one did so in case you're wondering about the chronology these are very contemporaneous stories so shatner is all over your tv in early 1960 <laughs> okay see we didn't think that happened until uh 66 or so because <laughs> i was wondering what his earliest televised appearance that i've seen is i know he's famous for things in the 50s that i never saw that were on you know various playhouses and theaters on the on uh on the DuPont network or, you know, whatever the networks were back then. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to track like how early this was, but there's actually quite a few credits um, on this. Uh, his first one, it was, I think like space patrol or something, which seems weirdly fitting. <laughs> that is weirdly fitting. And I would very much want to see that. <laughs> let, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll do my double check uh, in the meantime, but yeah. How did you feel about this performance? Especially if you want to compare it to Nick of time, since uh, that about fits. Um. Yeah, well, in, in Nick of Time, he's very paranoid um, about uh, the, the predictions of the uh, fortune machine, right? And so he's a little more full Shatner, you know, he kind of gets a little more, a little more uh, intense about things. This one, he seems pretty relaxed compared to most of the time I've seen him in roles. Of course, most of those mean Star Trek roles, but... Um, like I said, he had a certain serenity about him. I mean, his, his child was on the way. He had a shop. He, you know, saved countless lives by diffusing bombs. And one of the narrations in the middle of the episode, you may have noticed, was when Newland said something to the effect of, why does he do it? And it's like, okay, you asked the question, John, are you going to tell us why he does it? He, he doesn't really explicitly spell it out, I don't think, except just in the way he lived his life he was trying to be a better person and not to let his Luftwaffe past uh define him so i i, I kind of liked him I, I don't know what to make of his german accent i'm sure it's probably <laughs> it's probably not an ideal german accent and it's very funny some of his acting choices um like with the teacup he goes he goes gets makes the tea and he says you know something joke about you know and i make a cup of tea or whatever but he's like holding it with both hands and cupping it to his face like like i don't know it was very strange the way he was drinking it he didn't just grab it by the handle and just sip it like a normal englishman would i thought that was weird <laughs> i don't know why he did that um did you notice I was at the end wondering oh go ahead oh the the teacup at the end when the bomb goes off we just this all happens off camera of course in a budget just hear the bomb go off um when lois is back in the shop looking for him the cup like very conspicuously like it's yanked off of the counter to make it look like the bombs explosion rattled it but it looked like it had a thread on it or something because it just went wham and got pulled right to the floor <laughs> yeah but i you gotta like those little analog touches right <laughs> um okay I, i've been manning in the chair a bit and i i did find shatner's first couple credits his very first one is 1951 the butler's night off as a crook followed by space command in 1953 but it's not clear what he did there 
Uh, the one after that, just I got to do three for this because it's Howdy Doody where he's playing Ranger Bob in 1954. And um, <laughs> I know what I'm going to be doing after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Shatner as Ranger Bob. Jeez, if that still exists. <laughs> very, I was just very... thinking, you know, our, our friend Norman Lau is such a you know Shatner fan. I keep thinking these are things he would love to do on a podcast if he had the opportunity. <laughs> Maybe if if we if I do find a clip of Ranger Bob, we'll make sure to get that everybody's way. Maybe that could be our we new do, theme. We do our Space Command podcast, you know, right after our <laughs> The Invaders podcast. And uh, <laughs> what's the right. ones they always go on about? Cold Shack. I do the Cold Shack podcast over there. Michelle. The Night Stalker. Can, the say, Night Stalker. Got to add that little part to uh, it. And The Night Strangler. There were like two two TV movies before the show, right? So much Cold Shack, yeah. Cold Shack. So much Cold Shack. Wrong cold check got it some i got it somewhere in between <laughs> but yeah i did wonder watching this if like a little bit of newland since he is also the director kind of rubbed off on rubbed off on shatner because i felt his kind of wistful way of speaking like you said it didn't really take as a german accent it seemed a little lilting like the way newland speaks so you know sometimes if you yeah. hang around someone and you like the way they talk you'll start like taking on a bit of their affectations for a while like um I remember once when, you know, when Obama was elected, I, I think a lot of people started throwing just a little bit of Obama in their the way they talk. I kind of <laughs> noticed that like in the late 2000s. And I think I was doing a, a bit, too, because, yeah, uh, you know, any way you're, I don't care what your politics are, an affecting way of speech is affecting. Right. <laughs> right. I think, uh, again, Norman would point it out that if you watch uh uh, Christopher Plummer in The Sound of Music, you kind of hear some, you know, proto Shatnerisms, mannerisms in his performance. And 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 Shatner really liked uh, Plummer. They were actually friends, I believe. So he picked up yeah, some I of think that. Shatner is a bit of a protege. So which would explain a something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like a similar acting style till you put it side by side, but they're both good enough that you also don't notice in Star Trek six. So maybe the prosthetics help in that case. <laughs> Where they finally good. got to work together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but like you're saying, um, Newland has that lilting sort of soft voice and him. I think that 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 performance, that voice was the thing that makes me think that he's, you know, achieved that level of serenity because he says seems so calm and happy there in 1949. With everything was going his way. So well, even in the scene in 43 or whatever it was supposed to be, I, I, they didn't actually say what the first, what the flashback was in the war, did they? Hmm. I think yeah. maybe it was around 43. I think you're That's, right. I, mean, I have that stuck in my head, but even there where he's, you know, where Lois is trapped under debris and he's defusing the bomb. Uh, he, even then I, I wrote like, oh, he's a Nazi officer with a tongue of silver because he's still in that situation kind of uh you know rattling off bomb techno babble in a not a shatner way you know <laughs> well yeah he's very zen which makes him a very good bomb diffuser right because he can keep his cool and uh and not only his but he was calming lois down talking to her through the whole process except toward the very end he says well if you have a god you better ask him for a favor right now because he's about to pull the fuse out or something that's the only time he got a little bit alarming but uh, the rest of the time he was very uh we get very good angry. bedside manner. He gets angry yeah. at Captain George Davis, where he um definitely goes into you know recognizable Shatner shouty mode. Oh, when he uh when he ended up dropping the bomb on himself. <laughs> <laughs>
I, well, again, he, he's, he's compassionate. He was very passionate about his friend's safety and he didn't want him to get hurt. So when he hurt himself, he was like, you idiot. <laughs> I told you not to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he does come out of it. If you want to, if you're looking for a bit of, um, you know, what you expect, you you do get a bit of that, but you get a, yeah, a lot of a very different performance for him. So, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I'm just having a look through my notes here. I, I wrote went down one quote, which I think I just misheard. Oh yeah. Uh, getting to the twist. I, I did write that this might be considered ghost dad starring William Shatner. We do need a new star <laughs> for that movie anyway. So, uh, that, that could be, the choice hell have you know they could remake that movie with shatner is like what is he 94 now that'd be fun <laughs> i think about uh i guess a lot of one step beyonds is that the story plays out and there's nothing really particularly weird happening during the story like last week you did sally right if you see yeah. sally the the twist always comes at the very end and it's like the ghost story twist it's like you saw her and uh yeah, it becomes a little, uh, little like large Marge and Pee Wee's big adventure. <laughs> it's like, it was 10 years ago tonight. Yeah, once the twist comes along, I'm like, who even cares? We got the interesting bomb defusing story. We got the, they, they, he directed, like John Newland himself directed those scenes with pretty good tension for 1960s uh, network television. So, you know, the, the whole bomb defusing story is fascinating. And then it's like, and what a twist, you know? So, I mean, I, I guess it's fine, but yeah, it's a little weird. I did wonder a little bit uh, if this is too early for them to also consider with Lois uh, having postpartum depression. Like, obviously, her husband just died. So that that explains a fair amount of it. But yeah, I think it does. <laughs> but in 1960, you know, there's I like the way the scene plays, like I'm thinking postpartum depression also which maybe you wouldn't notice in 1960. I'm not quite sure when that started to become like a thing. Well, it's probably always been a thing, but it's been dismissed because, oh, you know, it's a woman's problem and therefore no one's going to pay any attention to it. You know, it's a childbirth thing, but uh, very much so today. Yeah, they would have that complication on top of it. It could be a combination of the two, but I think in we're supposed to believe that, you know, the sudden and abrupt death of her husband days before probably is the sole cause of her. Well, it's like in Star Wars, distress. we're still supposed to believe that uh, Padme died of a broken heart. Or or as our, our regular podcasting cohort, Mark, said, all, all the Skywalkers die when they get tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I remember him saying that. It was like, oh, he just got tired. Yeah, yeah. You know? He's just tired. What's this George Carlin joke about getting old? It's like, great thing is when you're old, you can just get out of all social functions by saying, oh, I'm a little tired. But, but <laughs> dad, it's 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> Although you'd be tired at 7.30 well, in the morning. It wasn't just Skywalkers. I, I mean, uh, well, he was very old, but Yoda also just kind of, you know, <laughs> got tired. <laughs> yeah, Yoda gets the Methuselah card, I think, because he was 900 and something by that point, right? <laughs> He was still relatively okay just, you know, a few months before when he did the training. I think maybe that training of Luke kind of, you know, took the last out of him. So that could be it. Mm. But, uh, yeah, looking here. Oh, uh, I wrote the Undiscovered Country is Full of Bombs, uh, just as, as a snarky thing to write. Uh, turning bombs <laughs> into junk is a very good profession, I would say. Uh, 
I could do this all my life. Yeah, you don't have to put any snark behind that. If if you can handle the uh the white knuckles, then I, I guess it's it's a good thing to do because somebody's got to do it. <laughs> it is interesting though, if you are a bomber from the opposing side that definitely dropped a few bombs and now you've been you know w- yeah when is your due paid yeah i mean you can't really t- tally up how many people you directly killed by dropping a bomb on them versus how many people you probably saved by defusing a bomb so that i can see him like he said he he could spend the rest of his life doing that because he, he you would never know when the uh you know the scorecard would be even if, if that even matters i think some people would say if you saved one life you did a good thing you saved 100 that's that's also great too but you know and i, I think know, that what's, might what's the cost the of redemption one, you know? i think that might be the one not the one thing but that may be one notable thing that puts the the twilight zone ironically one step beyond i think the twilight zone episode would have focused on that like mm-hmm. when have you paid your due or something you know whereas this one just has kind of the derpy little ghost story twist but that's the difference uh with the twilight zone being more of a morality play they're going to put that question up front and center which is going to you know uh well make a message right whereas this one is like look at this are you saying one step beyond does not have morals meanings and messages <laughs> Well, I'm not as hard hitting as the Twilight Zone does. <laughs> Occasionally they they do, but yeah, usually it, it, these are more like um campfire stories. So it feels like a campfire you're having in a laboratory probably because of John Newland's vibe, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these are stories to tell, you know, to to entertain uh people who are in, about to enjoy Camelot, you know, early 60s America can spend some time with John Newland for this interesting story. Whereas, yeah, Serling's thing would be more like, when it, when do you pay your due uh, considering what you've done? And I, I, that's where I see Death's Head Revisited as such an interesting mirror image of this episode in many ways. I wonder if this show would have had uh, more success in syndication if, well, it ran three seasons. It's a pretty long time, but Twilight Zone had five seasons uh cbs clearly took better care of their uh of their film stock (laughs) and uh kept it around long enough to be pressed first on the dvds which i thought were a massive improvement of course but then now you have the blu-rays and i'm kind of curious if they look even better i mean obviously they're going to be a bit sharper and everything but a lot of twilight zones sometimes the uh the look of it's a little like low contrast or something or some some episodes just don't look quite as sharp and crisp as others but if this show had similar um uh similarly curated you know and was restored properly if it would have maybe have gotten more uh traction or is it like you said like twilight zone's a little more and certainly was just a little more hard-hitting and focusing on those things well this is just sort of uh jump scare at the end boo bye see you next week so <laughs> i think that's it because um when I've been talking to people about what we're doing in the podcast right now, and I'll bring up, I'll usually refer them to uh, two episodes and uh, one's the navigator. Uh, the other is, I, th- I think it was the confession because those two look pretty good on YouTube. So I feel like mm-hmm. you can better assess the show by watching those two simply because they look at least like 2000 era DVD quality, which is, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's one of those Twilight Zone Blu-rays. Yeah, I used to have some of those 2000-era DVDs, and the Blu-rays do look infinitely better, but I also missed a couple iterations in between, so <laughs> I don't know what the most... And one assumes that those the, the those are the negatives that are being used on Paramount Plus these days. So you might get a comparable quality if Paramount Plus is, you know, if the winds at your back and the skies are clear and you're getting a good stream that day on the internet. <laughs> I'm still happy with my uh, physical media. So um, mm-hmm. just one more little almost snarky observation. Uh, when he's like, I found some green stuff in here. Did, did you think Kryptonite too? <laughs> <laughs> Did he the, say green? Was this the point where he was reaching under the bomb and not looking into it? So that yeah, was the that's corrosion. Weird. I feel like he said How can green? it be green? Good Unless point. he pulled it out and looked at it on his hand and then went that, back in. That might be the case. I seem to remember. I mean, I made a note, so I guess he said it. But yeah. Yeah, he wasn't looking at it at the time. So, But yeah, it might have rubbed off on his hand. I don't know. But I was like, that's his kryptonite. He's about to blow up. <laughs> well, that's a, uh, <laughs> um, a good excuse for the... Um, the whole the whole recording of the um process putting a mic on the guy and telling them exactly what's being done and recording it for posterity was a good idea so in case the bomb blows up at least you'll know what you did wrong <laughs> but okay, it also is a great narrative real to real <laughs> yeah but it's a great narrative device because he had to uh you know explain what he was doing to uh his guy back in the van and um but it also had some weird exposition like says i am very you know i'm very tired i'm wiping my face you know i am taking a drink of water he has to like dictate everything he's doing when we can see him it's like we didn't have to hear all that but kind of kill some more time. lines it's like give me some yeah, more give lines, more lines. <laughs> uh let's do some questions who in this episode takes that step beyond oh the nurse definitely <laughs> she's the only one who actually saw the apparition apparently yeah, she's the only in, one that has a psychic nursery. phenomena, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then secondhand, everyone who hears the story, I guess, you know, the, the child got his first breath from his father, which kind of raises the question, well, uh, he was a ghost. So did you breathe ghost breath into him? Is he going to become a zombie yes. now? What's <laughs> is yes. the child? A, <laughs> is this the child going to become, become a devil or something as a result of this? He'll become a German villager. Flashbacks of uh, Jeff Myrtlebank. And uh, it's like, well, he died and came back and then he had a child. And it's like, so, and the child is this weird sort of demonic <laughs> abilities or something. <laughs> So think how much worse it would have been if he breathed into the mouth of the child, you know, bad seed. I don't know <laughs> the bad seed, but yeah, I, your answer is probably correct. But for me, because I simply thought the bomb stuff was better, I would say Shatner or um, Carl Bremer took that one step beyond because he blew up real good. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, when I think about this episode, I'm never going to remember the thing like he held his baby in his arms and bre- breathed the breath of life into him. That's not what I'm going to remember about this episode. I'm going to think of Shatner under a bomb, you know, uh, fiddling with it. <laughs> and like, you know, like so much of the um, um, low budget stuff, it's like we don't get the um, 
the actual explosion. We don't get the actual visitation, everything. All the interesting things happen off camera. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of see the reactions to them. I think we can't see the visitation because they do go and check, right? We actually do see that room. So it's not a budget concern. That's fully a narrative concern because all you would have had to do is, you know, make another shot on that set with the guy you've hired for the week. Well, again, we, we have that whole set of the nursery and it served one function. It was a place for John Newland to stand and do right. his narration. It might have made more sense if there was an actual visitation scene and we see his ghost pick up the baby, you know, breathe into it, say his little words, put the baby down and vanish. Um, again, we were missing five minutes of this episode, I think. And, and something's, something's somewhere that's missing that might have been that scene. But then by taking it out, it just makes that anecdote. So does that it just make depends on whether or not they filmed it? Yeah. Does that make something like the Death Watts better, where we clearly see that scene? Because <laughs> mm. we get that totally bizarre, you know, dance scene with 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 the um um army ghost. <laughs> Are you saying they learned a lesson from that and decided not to do it in this episode? Because well, I'm, I'm I don't just know saying it was definitely first. definitely a choice in this episode not not a budget thing not an explosion definitely a budget choice but uh although you got stock footage like you might be able to use i don't know if we see any explosions at all in this episode do we nope we just hear them and they you know shake the camera mm -hmm. around and and like you said pull a coffee a teacup off the the table <laughs> <laughs> with some fishing line or something uh, correct me if i'm wrong is this the third season i believe didn't that's they correct. shoot a bunch of episodes in england um, I, yeah, I believe that's correct. So, and but we, we don't have really see some of the stories shifting to England, like this one. The story is set in England. It's got some English actors for real. So that's a concern. But, um, I think there's like the one establishing shot they did where they're walking from the van to the side of the bomb out in the street and somewhere in London or, you know, that looked like a, an English street, but that's like the only location shot I can think of in the movie. Everything else is in, in the episode rather than everything else is in the, uh, on a soundstage somewhere. So mm. I just wondered if that was uh, the reason we got this particular story. And I wish they'd kind of used more location <laughs> shooting, but again, budget. <laughs> yeah. Much, especially for television, 1960, it's much easier to do it on a soundstage. <laughs> no, but it's like LA, you know, Hollywood, you just go down the street, you shoot your shot and you come back to the studio. <laughs> if they're, if you're producing in London, use something in London. So my since this is not a meanings moral message or a morality play like the Twilight Zone often is, I feel like the does do they deserve their one step beyond doesn't make sense. So I will take it to that question. I think the Twilight Zone would have done. Um, did Carl Bremer pay his, you know, karmatic uh, due? <laughs> well, it does seem harsh to. Uh you know, end a man's life on the, you know, the eve of the birth of his child, that seems kind of cruel. But I guess if you see it as a punitive thing, uh, it would imply that all his good works defusing bombs over the past few years weren't enough to balance the cosmic scale. So I don't know if it was really that fair to Carl. I mean, he throughout the whole episode, he kind of comes out as a pretty good egg. I mean, he he admitted that he was a Nazi. And I think that's, you know, tantamount to saying, yeah, I was on the wrong side and I did some bad things and I'm trying to do better. So having them kind of, you know, taken out at the very last possible minute, because, you know, you know, he was, even if he successfully defused his bomb, 
once he had a baby, he was n- probably never going to do it again. Once he had that baby in his, in his arms, but, um, maybe the visitation, you know, um, pays him his karma back. Like, okay, you blew up real good, but the universe is going to allow you this little bit just to make sure you're balanced in a supernatural way. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he uh, had a conversation with someone upstairs and said, um, can I just do this one last thing? If this is my fate for whatever reason, let me do this one last thing. And so he was allowed to do the one last I thing. I retire so. next week. <laughs> <laughs> this may be an early iteration of I retire next week. Um, <laughs> Nurse O'Brien may be fought. It's her first day on the job and she might be fired tomorrow. Uh, does she deserve that? No. <laughs> Gosh, I think the doctor was just, uh, uh, I mean, I don't blame him for being skeptical. I'm not going to slam on the skeptics. Like <laughs> it could have been some other person, um, but he wouldn't have said those words and everything. We're supposed to believe exactly what it's being described as. But um, uh, I think the doctor's main concern at that moment was he thought she was going to freak out the, you know, Lois by uh discussing you know her dead husband but she said herself after she got the story from her it's like is it really that bad she perked up immediately it's like that's what turned her around and she took the baby and you know I, I guess happily be good i guess the main problem is uh she said in that chirpy 40s you know studio player sort of way since the <laughs> the actor was in fact a 40s studio player (laughs) (laughs) which would have been fine and the lodger uh maybe (laughs) feels a little weird here i mean it's fine just uh i'm I'm, i basically i just want to address the fact that you said that the nurse took the one step beyond so i felt like we need to talk about it a little bit for the second question (laughs) Mm -hmm. so question three let's put it on the tripometer uh zero to five um well again we're kind of getting into the uh you know it's the ghost story with the twist you know we just saw it last week (laughs) you know the you know the uh mysterious reappearance of someone long gone um i would maybe give it you know i don't even know i'd give it a two at this point (laughs) but it's kind of the bread and butter of the show is that type of story so i guess i'll give it at least a two that wasn't really uh surprised by it because he's had to stop and explain this whole ritual that he's going to do with his son just as soon as he sees you know kaboom so he kind of saw what was going to happen um for me long before it happened if we look at it from the perspective of that ghost story i agree with you it's a two and uh we're doing we're not doing them in order so we saw it last week you know in broadcast order could be a few months or more um i don't remember the air date for that one but if we take out the ghost story and look at it from the the bomb stuff and the tense bomb scenes, I think I'd give it a three. <laughs> like I thought those were pretty well done, low budget bomb diffusing scenes, uh, despite the they fact were. we don't see the the explosion. So if we focus on that, I'd give it a three. But yeah, the go like like I said, this one's weird because I'm like the 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 one step beyond woo woo part is like the least appealing part of this episode for me. <laughs> It was a it was an interesting um, story in the history of the war in the post war. Um, 
England. And uh, like I said, I immediately thought of Danger UXB uh, when I saw it. And then I realized, did I ever watch that? <laughs> so now it makes me want to go watch Danger UXB, which uh, I think is available on streaming services. It was a pretty popular show uh, near you. So I don't advertise anybody particularly, but... Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> I'm trying to find this place you can stream it, and I'm not. But you have to, may have to buy it. But uh, that was, uh, I think it won a lot of awards and stuff back in like, when was it, 79 or something? That came yeah. Out. And I think it would be a nice, a nice corollary to this if you want to, you know, get more into the history of the Blitz and the, the, the devastation of London and the bombs and stuff. So since I was throwing one step beyond a bit under the bus for the Twilight Zone earlier, let, let's let, here's one thing that I think one step beyond does a little not necessarily does a little better but has a, an interesting perspective on because like you say the Twilight Zone ones are very taut most of the time and have a heavy moral where a lot of the one step beyond stories show you after the Civil War after World War II with people just trying to get on with their lives and just yeah there's this weird you know supernatural stuff that happens but I find that's an interesting perspective that it's kind of like people just moving on after the war or <clears throat> excuse me, after wars or whatever, or the twilight zone, people have to be like haunted by it. So that's kind of an interesting, especially for the world war two stuff, because many of the people watching the show are in the same position where they've just been getting on with their lives for the past 15 years. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, Serling was in the war, right. And in, in some capacity, I mean, there, there's a long shadow of world war two that goes across the fifties and sixties and then forms a lot of the, uh, storytelling there and in the case of like you said one step beyond it's sort of like it's a backdrop so we can do you know the ghost story of uh you know the weird castle where the german officer <laughs> uh what was it uh the the, the peasants uh german officer reenacts a party for 150 years ago so that the ghosts of the peasants can come kill him or whatever <laughs> <laughs> right right i mean that that's come up and said the especially the viewer of 1960 wants to see but hey you know, um, what's the setup for that Nazi, story? Punching a Nazi right. is, has not fallen out. Maybe it did fall out of fashion this year since the Dial of Destiny was considered a flop. But I, I think most people would still get behind punching a Nazi, I should hope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Shatner is like the one Nazi I don't really feel like punching because he tried to do right in the end, right? So that's where the question came up. Did he pay his due <laughs> or not? Can you put your Nazi past behind you? Uh, in his case, I'm not sure because he was dropping bombs on people before he became like more chill and diffusing them. So it's it's you know it's well, not again, it's, that, it's not our place to judge, really, is it? It's it's that turn I feel is missing. I mean, I, I would like to have seen him more as a hardened uh, Nazi and then watched Coventry be destroyed before his very eyes before he kind of has a you know a reckoning in his head. Like, oh, this is bad. I should I should like I said, <laughs> examine my career choices. Well, if you want that, I direct you to Slaughterhouse Five, the book, not the movie. Or again, that's that vibe is very much gotten by a, a Catch Twenty Two. So the uh, Sarian does not start it's diffusing bombs. So it's it's more doesn't... yeah, more homework yeah. for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> go watch yeah. those. Go if you didn't read them <laughs> in high school. I guess now is your chance. <laughs> I feel like everyone reads Slaughterhouse Five and Catch Twenty Two in high school, but maybe it was just my high school. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We'll wind down this boat. Um, I, I 
guess your plugs are basically showing up on our podcast these days. So my, Welcome my to podcast, the old podcast plugs. is yes. I wish I had the list in front of me. I could do the list for you, but I'll I have that to you. I, I have the, the horrible shill thing where I, it's just like planted in my head. Uh, like you said, podcast, the podcast is on Patreon besides time enough podcast, which is on X and Facebook. Uh, we do films and filth where we look at what are supposed to be really good films and what are supposed to be really bad films as rated by IMDb users like this podcast, we've uh, put our lens off of Hollywood for the moment. And well, if you want to get into some weird rabbit holes, you know, that could be the podcast for you right now. Uh, we've also mentioned the podcast 1999, where we are currently talking about the show Space 1999. And for the video gamers, there's Luke Loves Pokemon, Hyrule Field Report about the new Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom. And the game game show where gamers game the game, not the games, but the games. Okay. How would how would you like to blow up real good if you had to blow up real good? <laughs> I choose Doctor Strange Love style. Slim Pickens riding riding it down like a cowboy. Yeah. Yeah, that it goes down as the one of the best explosions. I mean I mean, you're right at the heart of a nuclear explosion. You might turn into uh, Doctor Manhattan or something if you're lucky. Harry Stemper in Armageddon. There you go. That's a good one. He saves the world by blowing up real good. Gosh, I have to think about this some more. Do I want to save the whole world or do I want to just ride it down yeah. like Slim Pickens? It is a so different Ride it down choice. like Slim Pickens. Yeah. yeah. And if I got the name Harry Stemper right, I'm very impressed with myself. <laughs> This room 
pretend that we began.